Hello and welcome to another edition of the Cognitive Engineering Podcast, where we take a look at interesting topics and what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. My name is Fraser McGrew and I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Goghill of Aleph Insights. And today we're talking about cosmopolitanism, um, which is appropriate because we're in North London as we record this, where we're surrounded by all sorts of ethnicities, of which we are one. And what we want to take a look at, I think, what we want to discuss is how this affects us and maybe more specifically our perception of the world. So, Peter, can you start us off? Sure. I, th- I think an interesting, uh, important part of cosmopolitanism, to be cosmopolitanly minded, is um, accepting that other things might be true other than things that you're used to, you're sort of, you know, within your culture, or your family, or your your immediate circle. So, to me, that seems like you're you're not instantly rejecting potential other explanations or other hypotheses as to what might be true and how things might work. So, I think what this what this essentially does, if you if the, if this is your modus operandi, this is your sort of way you way you operate, is you um, are able then to assimilate um, other. Um, building blocks or axiomatic building blocks that allow you then to try these building blocks together to generate new ideas. And so I think potentially a cosmopolitan attitude um, makes you a better thinker because you're not instantly chucking out things which are useful for working out other problems later on. Okay, I can see that's a positive aspect to it, or presumably a positive aspect to it. Maybe we'll come back to why that doesn't always happen or what could be a negative thing of of being in a cosmopolitan area but not having a cosmopolitan mindset let's say but perhaps we'll come back to that later nick yeah well actually that reminds me my my granddad um uh was uh, he had a thing about he didn't like chinese food and and his attitude was that it was wrong that different types of food were sort of put in the same dish that that was his he so if you take a stir fry it, it might contain some some pork and some vegetables and some sauce he thought that was sort of morally wrong i mean he he wanted to have he wanted to have you know he thought that the you should have some slices of beef and then separately you know some carrots and then put some potatoes that were separate and that was why he didn't like chinese food now he, he, for him that was almost a factual uh, issue it was sort of a fact that chinese food was wrong uh, it's just that approach was just you know they shouldn't do it it's bad keeping the food separately is better and I, I think the interesting thing about cosmopolitanism is that it challenges you to think about what things are actually your preferences and what, what things are actually your beliefs right so um there's a very good essay by Montaigne uh, the, the French philosopher where he he, he really goes into a lot of detail about the things that he likes and uh, the things that are purely preferences and and actually you can see it's quite a challenging thing to try and to try and ask that question of yourself uh, and he, he uses an example for example of of uh, an argument um, between I think it was a, a German and a Swiss person about the design of their ovens or the, the design of their fires and their stoves and you know they both adamantly held to the fact that the design that they had in their country was clearly better yeah. um, you know, and and it's very hard for us to 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 separate our preferences from from our beliefs when, when we when we think about things like so. An example might be accents. 
you know, so in Britain, um, you know, people tend to think, well, the received pronunciation accent, listen to Peter, he went to a good school, that's how he talks, uh, sort of received pronunciation is somehow better, it's just better than a Cockney accent mm. or a Scouse accent. And people will justify that belief by cl- saying, claiming things like, well, you know, co- Cockney speech is, is kind of lazier in some way. Now, it isn't. There's absolutely no, nothing you can point to about a Cockney accent that makes it in any way better or worse as a, as a means of communicating than a received pronunciation accent. But our, our sort of belief, our values that say received pronunciation is how announcers should talk on the radio and so on, make it really hard for us to separate you know, the preference from the beliefs. Well, hold on. So how, is it ever possible to fully shake uh, those shackles off? Because is, I challenge you, are, is there any kind of accent or way of speaking, you don't have to say which, but is there any kind that you ever hear in just grades that makes you think, oh, why should I just these right, people right. speak properly? Yes, of course. And the thing is that you, but but you have to, the, the point about being exposed to lots of these things, you then are able to say, well, is it is it me or is it them? Mm. And, I, and I think, you know, the, the reaction, the sort of, I suppose the naive reaction to being exposed to different cultures is to is to say, well, actually, everything is kind of equal. You know, our way of doing mm. things is no better or worse than anyone else's. And I don't think that's true either. I mean, I think there are things where we can point to... Um, we can point to uh, aspects of culture that we can think of as a kind of social technology that outperforms other uh, potential ways of doing things. Uh, I use the example of queuing. Obviously, we're, we're British, and therefore we think that queuing for things is better than just a scrum. Yeah. Now, uh, I would defend that, you know, in, in kind of economic terms. I mean, it's clear, it seems to me that uh, having just a scrum uh, will still lead, on average, to the same outcome. It's just it's a lot more effort. So it's better to have a queue, in, in my view. You know, and, I, so I, and I, I think you can make the same argument about things like cultures where you haggle over prices compared to where you can just go in and pay the price that it says. I mean, I think the price mechanism is just more efficient. You know, so there are things where you, we shouldn't throw out the baby with the bathwater and say, well, you know, all, all values, all cultures are kind of equal because it's not true of everything, but it is true of quite a lot of things. And, and it's important for us to try and distinguish the things that are purely a way of doing stuff from things that are a better way of doing stuff. Um, Peter, you were nodding vigorously at something that Nick said about um, social technology, which is two words I've never heard together, so I don't even know what that means, but um, perhaps we'll come back to that in a minute. But just talking about queuing, I want to talk about queuing for a second because I I love the fact that we queue in the UK. And I was defending ourselves, um, British culture, to a friend of mine recently um, who's Argentinian, who was complaining that we don't stand up on the tube as much as we should. And I said, okay, there's that, but there's lots of other stuff as well. And I love the fact that we queue. And I love the fact that there's an unseen queue in a pub, for example, when you're queuing for a drink and that everyone is aware of, even though it's physically not there. And I, what I like about that um, and, and things like zebra crossings and the way we use them in the UK, which cars do stop, is I think it's about trust, is that we trust the system. We know that if we do this, that, um, that everything will be fine. And I kind of like that. And I think that sort of speaks volumes about... British culture and history in general. That's my little flag-waving um, advert there. Um, but any, anyway, social technology... He was, Nick was giving some examples there about what's good about cosmopol- cosmopolitanism, and, and you were nodding, Nick, um, Peter. So is there something you want to pick up on there? Yeah, I think, I, I think you, you can define uh, any metrics of betterness that you like and apply them to different languages, and the different languages will score high, higher or lower on, on those scores. So, I mean, for example, as it, from an engineering perspective, certain languages are easier to process in, in, with, with, with natural language processing mm-hmm. than others. Um, uh, English 
written English is quite compressible because of the, the the laws of of um, uh, how frequently words appear is quite predictable, and you can use you can use that to generate an algorithm which efficiently compresses and then transmits text. Um, whereas other more pictorial languages um, uh, are potentially more difficult because the, the symbol set is more complicated. But then you could argue that actually they are inherently more dense themselves, informationally dense, because each pictor, if you have a number, if you have hundreds of characters rather than twenty-six, mm. um, your each character carries more information. So it's it's, it's um, a, a different protocol for transmitting information. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, but in, whether or not. It, it, one is objectively better in or across all all parameters. It, it, it really depends on what you're trying to do with yeah. it. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think, and there's an interesting um, social or, or cultural observation. I think about actually British. You know, everyone thinks the way they do things is more or less it's just right. You know, other people are a bit too something or other. And I think you mentioned crossing the road, Fraser, and I, I love this example because it's you can use it to sort of challenge British people and their assumptions about things. Now, it, it, sort of culturally, uh, it, it, when we cross the road, we, we expect to be able to sort of, if there's no cars coming and we're a pedestrian, we will happily cross a zebra, at a you know pedestrian crossing, uh, even if the green man isn't showing. Mm. Um, and that just seems completely sensible. You're on an empty road. Uh, there's no cars coming. Why not cross the road? Um, Germans don't have that attitude at all. They right. okay. Germans Germans uh, will shout at you in the street. Yeah. I know someone who was called a child murderer because he crossed <laughs> crossed the road uh, while the green man wasn't showing. Yeah. Uh, that strikes us as uh, you know vastly overly um, you know legalistic and probably uh, we quite enjoy that because it seems like it fits in with our caricatures about what Germans are like. Yeah. Um, but, but the Italians think exactly the same about us in cars at red lights, you know, where in, in Britain you would never go through a red light mm. broadly, even if there were no other cars coming. And that was obviously true. Um, whereas Italians, you know, take um, the more pragmatic view in general. If there's no cars coming and you can see that, then you can ignore the red light. Now, we, we see ourselves as just right there. But of course, so do the Germans and so mm. do the Italians. Um and I, I think, you know, hearing examples like that challenges you to, to think about, well, you know, which, which of that is a preference and which of that is actually we have got it right. OK, but bringing it back to our initial starting point of cosmopolitanism, it, it just seems that what we're saying is, isn't it, hey, isn't it nice if we can be broad minded and be exposed to different cultures and, and people? And if we do that and make sure we immerse ourselves in that, then then that's really good. It's a good thing because then we see the world in a different way and we can see things from another point of view. Okay, I think I, I can imagine some people saying, no, no, that's not the case. And um, that um, I mean, we're drifting into a debate about multiculturalism there, perhaps. But is there anything it doesn't seem to be I don't think we're saying anything terrifically profound there. Is there anything we can say beyond that? And, and we can say, OK, well, if we're like that, then therefore this can happen and this is the result. Can we just go? I just think what we're saying so far isn't particularly deep. I, I think there's we focused on cognitive benefits. So we said, you know, that being exposed to these things challenges your your understanding of your own beliefs and therefore will perhaps cause you to be more open minded. Um, but society still has to work and I think and there are some things which you know where actually we have to coordinate we've got to decide that there are one you know there's one way of doing things um the most obvious example is perhaps which side of the road you drive on uh the you know where you everyone has to do it the same way 
um, and we just have to make a decision. Um, there was, you know, the, the Swedes, famously in 1967, uh, actually switched over, which is quite an interesting case study. Um, but there are other things, more subtle things. I'd say tipping is one of them. You know, we, we mm-hmm. Britain, you, you know, you tip, you tip certain people. You tip, you um, will tip uh, taxi drivers and waiters but not bar staff whereas in the US you would you would always tip bar staff mm. um and uh we kind of have to coordinate on that you know as a society um as long as we do it one way or the other way that's fine as long as everyone knows that's fine so there are some things where we just we can't have multiple ways of doing things because there's a coordination benefit to getting it all right mm-hmm. uh, it's getting it all the one one way rather than another peter Nothing. <laughs> okay, no, nothing, Peter. Um, yeah, I don't know. This reminds me. I'm still not sure if we've got if we're getting anything there. I don't know. It just broadly speaking, reminds me. I, I read an interesting quote recently, which maybe you're familiar with, and I'm sure I, I'll get it wrong. But it's something like, uh, you know, an intelligent person or an educated person um, is, is is having the ability to net to entertain an idea uh, without actually accepting it. And just I know something that um, in another podcast that we've done is uh, what's happening or something I see this a lot in, 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 in America and thinking about Donald Trump and his supporters is just being unable to to perceive actually that there are that there are other points of view and even if you disagree the, with those points of view that um, you can still see why someone you know might hold those views well let's distinguish between points of view meaning beliefs about the world um, versus you know how how we should behave so they're, they're two quite different things beliefs about the world uh, I, I mean I, I I believe that can be right or wrong I mean the world is one way if we you know it's not I, I think the the sort of relativist idea that um, you know you you can believe some things and I can believe some things and they're different but they can sort of both be true right. from your perspective or truth it just cannot be made to work that that idea yeah. it, it's it falls I'm not apart. suggesting that but, no no yeah. but but then you know the 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 question of what our preferences should be and how we should behave and what sorts of things we should do as a society um, is is a different one um, and I think it's the interesting thing about um, conservatism uh as with a small c is that uh the default assumption is that our way of doing things is probably because it's better and and you know that's quite an interesting um viewpoint it it can be probably defended on certain empirical grounds you know that actually uh probably the the way that societies behave evolves towards situations which are broadly better um you know the conservative assumption and i would say probably most of uh, trump's supporters are kind of conservatives uh would just tend to assume that that their way of doing things is probably better than other other ways of doing things um sometimes that's going to be true okay um I can't think of anything to sort of sum this up. Has anyone got a summing up sentence at all? Anything about cosmopolitanism? Cosmopolitanism? We don't have anything to sum this up with. Okay, so um, cosmopolitanism is a good thing. Um, And it affects us in positive ways. Okay. All right, we'll wrap up there. So um, thank you once again for listening to another episode of the Cognitive Engineering Podcast, where we looked at cosmopolitanism. Um, thank you very much from myself, Fraser McGrew, and from uh, Nick Hare and Peter Cogill of Aleph Insights. Uh, that's all until the next time. Thank you. Mm-hmm.